Our statement of faith, this is my Bible. It is the word of truth. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can. I'm a believer and not a doubter. I'm a doer and not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. The Bible says this. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Somebody say perfect. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Say perfect again. Somebody shout perfect. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, let me start off by saying a very special thanks to all of those who helped Sister Zontel and the, the youth department pull off that wonderful Easter extravaganza on yesterday. They did a great job. I know our children were blessed. I believe the people that was out there that was helping was blessed. And, and, uh, and I just prayed that uh, God was glorified in it all because it was a, felt like old times again, you know, going back and having Easter extravaganza and things of that nature. So I want to thank everybody who helped make that happen. But this is going to be our third sermon in the series that we've entitled In Pursuit of Perfection. In Pursuit of Perfection. And we say pursue means to just follow after in order to overtake, to chase, to strive for. Somebody say to strive for. So in pursuit of perfection, if you're striving for something, that is the goal or the aim. And just because you haven't gotten it yet, and you may not get it on this side, it does not mean you don't shoot for it. Amen? Now look at this. Perfection, from a biblical viewpoint, is to be complete and mature in various applications of labor, growth, and mental or moral character. To be blameless, and we have been looking at that in the past uh, sermons that we've done, to be blameless and upright, to be complete in integrity, whole and undivided, completely devoted to God. And, uh, and, and it means that when we are talking about being perfect, it's talking about serving God with a sincere and totally loyal heart. And then one part of that definition, alas, is to, to reach an end, to become complete, or in some sense in the Bible, to be full grown. You have matured. Now, as Christians, you know, perfection is the ideal and the aim where we strive to grow and become mature and complete in Jesus. And we realize that absolute perfection is beyond any human being. But we strive for it because it's the goal of the Christian life. In this life, we cannot be completely flawless, but we aspire to be as much like Jesus as we can. Now, because of sin in the world, as a result of Adam, Christians will only realize absolute and true perfection in heaven. But the exhortation in the scriptures encourage us to continue to strive for or pursue perfection in this life. See, Jesus expects us as his disciples to excel, to rise above mediocrity, and to strive to be mature and complete in every area of our life, becoming more like him. God does not expect his children to be subpar, substandard, below average or inferior. He expects us to strive to become uh, more blameless and mature as we journey through life in the earth. Now, when we look at this, and I tell you, you know, I know a lot of time 
we downplay the word perfection in the church because, you know, we think it carries negative connotation because you say, I'm perfect. Well, we nobody say you're perfect. We just say shoot for it. I mean, and I tell you all the time, when the gymnastic little girls get up there on that bar, they ain't shoot for no one. They don't get on that bar and say, I just want to get a one and call it a day. They shoot for a ten. You know, when a pitcher get on the mound, he ain't getting up there to just throw a, a 12 hitter and let the other team score 50 runs. He shoot for a no hitter. But if he get a one hitter and win, that's all right. And so what I'm trying to tell you, in life, there are things that we already shoot for. When bowlers bowl, I, I was told there's something called a perfect game where you can get 300 uh, points just throwing strike after strike after It's hard to get. But I can imagine Brother Willie, when he get on the court, he, he don't get out there and say, I'm going to just bowl a 99. Even the amateur major want to do better than 90. Don't nobody want to throw gutter balls all the time. So, so, you do, so what I'm trying to say is, why is it that we can want to do better in certain aspects of life, but when it comes to God challenging us to do better, we pretend like, oh, nobody's perfect. I'm only human. God know that. That ain't no surprise to him. And he still say, shoot for a prof- we, we done lowered the bar so low down that, that Christians are afraid to say, I'm trying to be perfect. You know, our kids go to school. They start off saying, I want to get some. Most of them. Now, y'all got some of them that don't want to go to school. But most of them major, when they go to school, they want perfect attendance. I, even when I wasn't that smart in school and I never graduated smart, I always thought I could get perfect. I wasn't going to miss no days because at the end of the year, they gave a little badge for perfect. I knew honor roll was beyond me. But perfect attendance, all I had to do was show up. And so what I'm trying to say is that this thing, perfection, is out there. The world knows it's out there, but sometimes the church want to hide it and get afraid of it. And God expects us to at least strive for it. Now, last week we saw that integrity play a large part in our uh, perfection process. You know, we saw how Job maintains his integrity and remained blameless even when God allowed the devil to bring adversity in his life. And he still held on to his integrity. And we close with David revealing to us that if we're going to pursue perfection, we must lead a life of integrity in our own home as well as in the public. David said we got to be the same person in church as we are when we're at home. We can't go home and transform into something that don't look like God. Amen. And I said this, your children really know you. They know you. And so when we come to church and put on one face and our children stand there in amazement saying, who is Where did that person come from? I ain't seen that person at home, but all of a sudden that person show up at church. Then we have an issue with integrity. We got to be the same people in the church, out the church, on the job, off the job, all the time. Amen? And that's what God expects of us. So now today, go to Isaiah. Isaiah, my first time, Isaiah 26, 
familiar passage of scripture, but then I made songs about one verse of this. In, in this song was written, this song was written to comfort the faithful. Somebody say the faithful. This song was written to comfort the faithful when adversity would come, assuring them of their deliverance, which God had promised. You know, we can never avoid all the strife and turmoil in this world around us. But when we totally trust God and keep our mind on him, he can give us perfect peace in the midst of the storm. Perfect peace just means that you can have complete peace or your peace can be genuine. It don't have to be fabricated. You see, in this time in life, we need to understand that we ought to have peace with God, peace with our neighbor, and peace with ourselves. If you want to ascribe and try to get to perfect peace, you got to first have peace with God. I mean, you can't be warring with God and think you're going to have peace. Then you got to be at peace with your neighbor. And I'm going to show you this a little bit about the neighbor, come back again, because the question may become, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to have peace with? You know, they ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? And we have defined neighbor so tight now that we don't include folk that don't look like us and talk like us and act like us. And so you got to have peace with some folk that don't look like you. Don't talk like you. Don't act like you. You got to have peace. And then you got to have peace internal. You got to get along with you. Amen. You, you got to have some peace of mind. Your conscience got to be in good shape. Amen. And when your conscience convicts you, if you want peace, you got to confess and ask, tell God you're sorry, and then you mind to get back in. So many Christians are in pursuit of peace, but they don't want to do the things that's required to get peace. And here the formula is very simple. He's let us know that wherever you put your mind on and what you keep your mind on when you're going through, it's going to determine whether or not you're going to have peace. Look at this. I'm in Isaiah verse, uh, chapter 26, verse 1 in New Living Translation. It says, in that day, everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded. Somebody say surrounded. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. In other words, everywhere we go and everywhere we look, God is surrounded. Surrounding us. And because God is surrounding us with his walls of salvation, that word salvation there only talks about God's protection, God's safeguarding, God defending, God's ability, ability to save you and, and protect you and to rescue you and give you victory. So he says, now look, we are surrounded by the wall, not wall, but walls of God's salvation. So when you start going through, you got to first realize who's surrounding you. If you don't realize that God is surrounding you to protect you, then you will allow certain things to penetrate your heart and your mind and your spirit and your soul that will cause you to become perplexed and you will lose your peace. You just got to remember who's surrounding me. I don't care what it looked like. I know who is surrounding me. I know who's protecting me. I know who is responsible for my salvation. And because I know that, I keep my mind on him and he can give me perfect. He says, now, open the gates to all who are righteous. Somebody say righteous. 
All who are righteous and allow the faithful, somebody say the faithful, to enter. So the question is, is that pastor speaking to you? If the gate had to be open, do you have what it takes to open the gate? I mean, if you can't get in the gate, you ain't going to have no peace. You got to be able to get inside the gate in order to get peace. And he said, now look, I ain't going to just open my gate for y'all filling the blank. Y'all saying it. Y'all preaching this thing with me today. He said, look, I ain't going to just open my gate for anybody. Mother, he said, look, anybody can come knock at the gate, but I got a criteria. I have an expectation of who I want to let into my kingdom. So he says, now look, open the gate for all who are righteous and allow the faithful to enter. If you ain't a part of the faithful, this song ain't for you. Unless you're going to peg it into your heart and say, I want to live like the faithful so I can enter into this salvation. Now look at this. You will keep in perfect peace all, somebody say all, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on. So that lets me know that peace will be determined by what's going through your mind. When you're struggling, when you're going through, when you got a trial and you got a storm in your life, what is going through your mind during that time is going to determine whether or not you have And if your mind is on him and you trust him for all things, then in the midst of your storm, you should get peace. Because my trust is in him, my hope is in him. You you ought to hear Jesus saying to the storms in your life, peace, be still. Even though things around me are raging, I just hear something in my spirit saying, peace, be still. And I keep my mind focused on him. Because when I keep my mind focused on him, then I won't be so, so in so much turmoil and so perplexed because I'm thinking on the truth of his word and I'm going back to what this song said. My salvation is surrounded. I'm surrounded by. Even though I'm going through whatever I'm going through, I'm surrounded by his salvation. He's going to save me even in the midst of this. He's going to rescue me out of all this mess that I'm in. He's going to protect me. And when I got a mindset like that, then I don't be intimidated when I go through the challenges and struggles of life. Because life happens to every. Storms come in everybody's life. But everybody don't fix their thoughts on the Lord. Because everybody don't want perfect. And I tell you what, in the times we live in right now, man, you need peace of mind. I mean, the world that we're living in right now will have you perplexed and out of your mind if you didn't trust and put your hope in the Lord. Because all the things that's going on, what people are doing, what people are saying, all those things are going to happen around us, but we know that we are surrounded to keep all that stuff out if we keep our mind on him. And the Bible here says that he can give you perfect peace, complete peace. Peace that is genuine. And if you want it, all you got to do is keep your mind in the right place. That's why meditation is so important in your Christian journey. 
You've got to learn how to meditate on this word day and night, the Bible says. And so when you meditate on God's word and it's in your heart, it'll settle you. It will make you stable even in the midst of trial. He says this in verse 4. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. I mean, he's a solid foundation, something you can stand on, something you can depend on. And he says, now you've got to trust in him in all ways, and always. Not sometimes, but all times. You just can't trust him when you think it's time to trust him. You've got to trust him in the tough times. You've got to trust him when things don't even look good, when the report is even bad. you still got to. You got to trust him. You got to keep your mind and your thoughts and your focus on him because you want to be at peace while you go through your storm. Got to have a mindset that is stayed on the Lord because when our mind is stayed on him, the Bible here says he can give us. We, they used to sing a song about perfect peace. We sing all the right things but I think sometimes we don't believe what we see. And so what we got to believe is that God wants the faithful, he wants the righteous to operate in peace. Amen. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we can just get the world to operate in peace? If we can just get the churches to operate in peace. And here he tells us that if we keep our mind on him, on our Lord and our everlasting strength, Jehovah, some of your Bible says, if we keep our mind on the self-existent one, the unchanging God, he can give us perfect peace. Perfect peace. Somebody say perfect peace. You can have it if you keep your mind in the right place. Amen? Go to Matthew chapter 19. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. In this chapter, Jesus was answering questions posed to him by uh, some Pharisees. And previously, he had talked to them about marriage and divorce. He had taught on celibacy. And he even blessed the little children that were brought to him. Then he has this encounter with the rich young ruler who asked him a simple question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life. Now this young man is believed of a good person. He was sincere when he asked this question. And he was probably honest when he asked Jesus. But Jesus challenged him on one point. And that point was the point, the point of benevolent giving in regards to the poor. He wanted to see if this young man loved his possessions more than he loved God and his neighbors. See, when God has blessed us with material things, we must understand that he's blessing us to be a blessing. And that as you pursue perfection, you're going to have to be mature and become complete in the area of benevolence if God has blessed you. Now, everybody is not there, but some people in the church are there. But God has blessed them that they could be benevolent when it comes to the poor, those in need. Because you got to understand, God has a special place in his heart for the poor, the widows, and the orphans. 
all throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has a special place for people who are in need. And he will do special things for those who are willing to meet the needs of people. Now look at this. this, this so this young man came to Jesus. This young ruler came to Jesus. He asked a question, so Jesus decided to have this dialogue with him. And look at this, verse 16. He says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good master, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? In other words, his biggest focus on, he wanted to work his way to heaven. He said, what good thing can I do? What good work can I do? Not realizing that all he needed was faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And then the works will come later. Because he would do good works because he is saved, but not to be saved. And so look at this. He says, verse 17, so he said to him, why do you call me, this is Jesus, Good, me good. No one is good but the Father. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. You know, you know, you was brought up in the church. You know what they tell you. You know the Ten Commandments. You know what they say. You know what the words say. You know what God told your people. Keep the commandments. And so he comes back and he said, which one? Because, you know, our fathers, they took the ten, and then the Pharisees and the scribes, they started adding others to them. But Jesus come back and talked very simple to him. He says, you shall not murder. Check. Is there kind of murders in the house? Okay, y'all check. Y'all check that one off. You, you shall not commit adultery. Check. Get a check. Y'all check. Yeah. I'm just putting y'all in the place of the rich young ruler. Because as long as I'm talking about the rich young ruler, y'all ain't going to take this personal. So I'm just asking the question, if Jesus was talking to you, is that all right? So he said, now, you shall not steal. Y'all check that one real quick, don't you? I ain't stolen nothing later. Okay, check. You shall not bear. I ain't seen too many hands go right there. Because I just believe somebody lied in the last 24 hours. But you can repent. So the young man was going through this checklist. I hope y'all getting the point I'm trying to make it. Now look at this. Then he says to the young man, honor your father and your mother. I see the guy say, check, man. I love mom and daddy. I look out for them. I do things for them. I'm always there for them. Then he says, you shall love your neighbor. Man, that's powerful right there. All them other ones, he checked off real quick. And then based upon what he was taught about his neighbor, he probably checked that one off. Because they was teaching very tight rules when it comes to who is your neighbor. You remember Jesus had to answer this with the Good Samaritan. And so the thing is, is that Jesus saying your neighbor is bigger than just your best friends and folk that live right next door to you you speak to every day. Your neighbor is anybody that you meet that may have a need that you can meet. Jesus said, you got to broaden the scope of who your neighbor is because you would narrow down your neighbor to just, you know, you and your closest friend. And he's saying, now look, Jesus, when he was asked this question once before, 
he broke the commandment because someone asked him, which is the greatest commandment of them all? And he just came back and said, okay, I know you know the ten, but if you love the Lord thy God with all the heart, spirit, soul, mind, and body, and love your, as your, so in that we see that if you want to be complete in love, you got to love God with all of you, and then you got to love you, and you got to love your neighbor. And the way you measure how you love your neighbor is based upon how you love. And some of y'all love you. And some of y'all don't care too much about you. And if you don't care too much about you, you ain't going to care too much about you. I, I hope y'all getting this. So, so Jesus can narrow down the commandments to two of them. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But if threefold, I love upward, I love outward, and then I got to love inward. See, you can't give folk what you don't have for yourself. If, if you don't feel good about who you are and don't have a good dose of, and I know some people don't like self-love, but I ain't talking about self-love where you just, you know, gratify yourself and your flesh all the time. I'm talking about where you really love who you are and who God has created you to be and you can have a good love for yourself, then you can share that love with somebody. And so he, the, the young ruler, I'm pretty sure, he said, man, I checked off all those boxes, you know. I think I got it together. Because I know who my mom and dad is. I ain't lied. I ain't committed adultery. I ain't murdered nobody. I'm in good shape. So the young man come back and said this. Then the young man said to him in verse 20, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Now, obviously, he should have stopped right there with all these things I have kept from my youth. So when his mind asked that question, obviously, there must have been something on the inside of him saying, there's something else I need to. I know he's going to give me one more of these little easy things I can do to get eternal life. He's going to tell me to do something easy. I'm going to tell him to do something easy. But Jesus come back and say, okay, since you're going to ask the question, Jesus said to him, if you want to be what? Now, don't skip over that word if, because some folk don't want to be. Yeah, I hope y'all don't, don't miss that. Some of y'all don't want to be. Some folk just want to be sorry and mediocre all their life. Some folk want to live subpar life. But he said, if you want. If you want to be perfect, you got to change the way you think. You got to change the way you see yourself. If you want, if you don't want it, it ain't going to happen. And you will live a subpar life. So if you want, and he's talking specifically in this area of benevolence. The young man thought he had done checked off all the boxes. I'm in. I done did everything else. But then Jesus comes back and says, if you want to be perfect, if you don't want to be, don't take nothing I say to heart. But if you want to be, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. <laughs> he was talking about murder. I was all right. You know, he talked about cheating on my wife. I was all right. He talked about lying. I done got my tongue in check, best. I don't, lie. I don't lie like I used to. I just got the tongue. He was talking about all that stuff. But then all of a sudden, he hit me in my heart. 
He asked for some of my money. <laughs> he want my money? And then he wanted me to give it to poor folk that I don't even know. That's why I say, who is your Because sometimes your neighbor is somebody that you don't really know, but they got a need that you can. Y'all better hear me today. Now, Pastor Bo, they finna ask y'all for all y'all stuff. Because some of y'all leave strong. <laughs> y'all ain't ready for that. Y'all ain't ready for that. If you want to be perfect, go and close the accounts up, and we're going to start a benevolent account here with your stuff. And you come on and follow striving. <laughs> that dog ain't going to hunt. Ain't going to hunt. Sometimes I say, oh, I'm going to walk away from that. Y'all be just like this. <laughs> this young man who thought he had it all together, to Jesus made a demand on his possession. And there are a lot of people today who think that the Lord is making a demand on something that they got, and because of that, they walk away from him. People possess certain things, and it's not always about money and things of that nature, but some of us possess some things that we do that when the Lord make a demand for us to give them up, we walk away. So look at this. He said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow. In other words, I'm offering you an opportunity to be my disciple. You could be like these other guys, the one who stopped fishing to follow me, the one who was a tax collector that gave up the job and followed me. I'm just asking you to give them some of your stuff. Let's help the poor out, and then you can follow me. And what you got to understand is that following Jesus requires sacrifice. You're going to have to give up some things to follow him. He, that's why he tells us, take up your cross and follow me. You've got to realize that you're going to go through something, make some sacrifices if you want to follow Then he said, you will be blessed in heaven. Wait, look, get this. Let me make this very simple. You're already blessed on earth in the natural because you got your needs met. You got plenty of stuff. Now I'm trying to tell you how you can be blessed on the other side. And all you got to do is look out for someone that's less fortunate than you are and just give up some of your stuff. You know, when it came to people following Jesus, he set the bar high. I don't know if y'all remember when there was somebody said, I need to go and bury my dad, something like that. I thought Jesus was cruel when he said, let the dead. What? Jesus said that? His point was that when you follow me, sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice some dead things in your life to come to me so that you can get new. But people don't want to give up something to follow him. Now look at this. But when the young man, verse 22, heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great <laughs> possessions. You know, there's some people in the church that got great possessions. Y'all can say, man, I, I, if you got it, you got it. Just say, man, I mean, don't be scared of it, it's yours. I mean, it's yours. You look at your statements every month. And you say, great. <laughs> Ooh, the market is doing pretty good. My 401k is doing good. It's doing real good. Ooh, 
Ooh, my insurance policy, you know, you're doing real good. Got all that worked out. You know, I don't owe nobody too much. I'm, you know, I'm doing real good. And the Lord speaks to your heart and says, well, why don't you just give up a little of that and help somebody? What? Did I hear from God? <laughs> God, is that in the Bible? You really want me to give up? I like looking at them numbers at the end of the month. You want me to reduce them by 10K? God, you sure? Now, if you had to ask for a Benjamin, I'd been all right. But you asking for some grant. And so what he's going to tell you, look, it's nothing wrong with you having what your money can buy. But don't let what your money can buy have you. To the point that you miss a blessing that God has in store for you. It is believed this young man may have missed heaven all because he didn't want to give up some stuff that he couldn't take with him. No way. Look here. Y'all better use it while you can. Because when you go down, you can't take it. And if you don't have it written how you want to distribute it, your folk going to fight over it. So you might as well use it for some good use now, leave them enough to fight over, but use what you want to do with what you want with it so you don't have to be looking down to heaven and say, I know I shouldn't have left them all that. I know that rather going to take it and just going to waste it, going to use it all up like that. If you knew that, Just help somebody with it. That's going to say thank you and be blessed by it and leave them what you know they can handle. There's no rich young rulers in striving. All y'all got this benevolent. Y'all perfect in y'all giving. Amen. Amen. Y'all can't say amen because somebody may be lying. So let me say. We are striving to be perfect in our giving. Amen. All right, that's okay, but you get amen right there. And so the point I want you to see here is that this young man had done all the outward things that the law required, but he had a covenant problem in his heart that he still saw his possessions as being greater than his God. And so therefore, when we see our possessions greater than our God, then our possessions become our, our God. And I'm, look, I, I am one that believes that you ought to have stuff. If the Lord done bless you, you done went to school, you got an education, you got degrees, you got all this, you done worked hard all your life, you ought to have stuff. I ain't got no problem with that. But keep your stuff and your wealth in perspective. Don't let that become your God that you worry more when your 401k report come in the end of the month, Robin, you lost a thousand dollars. Then all of a sudden, oh God, what am I going to do? Then the next morning, the first thing we do, wake up, we on channel 36, 37 right now, what the market is doing? <laughs> did it go up or did it, who cares? I mean, if you're going to worry about what it do every day, take your stuff out of it. Now you ain't going to have no peace. Your peace gone. Because you're thinking about what the market did today. The market lost 535 points. Oh, God. Oh, God. Wait a minute. God is still God. You still got your salvation intact. And you finna lose your mind because the market fell? 
And what we got to see is our mind needs to be focused on things that is important to God so that when things of the world happen, we can still have peace. So this young man missed an opportunity. He wasn't like the guys who stopped fishing and dropped their nets and followed Jesus. He wasn't like the tax collector, but he decided that, hey, that if got me. Obviously, I'm not ready to be perfect. So he walked away from the Lord. Now let's take this out of the context of finances and money, but just think about how many people that we meet. And I think I heard Adrian or somebody said something about yesterday, and maybe that was Rodney this morning talking to the man, said that how many opportunities do we miss to give, a, give people an opportunity to walk away from Jesus? Do we ever ask people the questions when it comes to their eternal salvation? just to see if they will walk away from it. By not doing that, we are automatically saying that they don't even have the opportunity and don't need the opportunity to be saved. As Christians, we should give everybody that we know that's not saved an opportunity to at least walk away. But I got a feeling, and I believe, that some people is going to believe the report that you give. Yes, there are going to be some people that walked away. They walked away from Jesus. But because they're going to walk away, we can't stop ministering to those people who need to know the Lord. Jesus didn't let this young man walking away stop him from doing what he was called to do. And we can't allow people who's going to walk away from the gospel because they just ain't ready to receive it to keep us from sharing the gospel to everybody that we know that need it. Amen? And so right here, the point was about giving. And so therefore, striving, you're a good giving church. So this was not put in here for y'all to give some more money. Y'all are a good giving church. Y'all have been taught to give. So that's not the issue here. The issue is now, are you benevolent when it comes to others? Do you see needs out there that you can meet? If it ain't nothing but buying someone a sandwich or doing something for someone that you can meet, and God placed that person on your heart, that situation on your heart, and then you trust him that if you do it, he's going to bless you in return, and you're storing up blessings in heaven. Amen. Get a benevolent heart. Have a soft spot in your heart for people who are less fortunate than you are. Because the point there is that if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you ask yourself the question, what would I want someone to do for me if I was in that situation? Because the same thing that I would want somebody to do for me in that situation then now I'm in a position to do that for my neighbor. Somebody say benevolent. Please be benevolent when it comes to the poor. If you have an opportunity, you can't go wrong. My third turn, go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. In this chapter, Jesus was making preparation for his coming Suffering and crucifixion. You know, and he just come into Jerusalem on what we are celebrating now, Palm Sunday, which is the, the, the kickoff of what is called in some faith Holy Week or the Passion Week where Jesus go through his suffering, his trials. And when he came into town, the people laid palms out for him to walk on, receive him as a king, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Y'all remember that part of the Bible? So all those things have happened in, during this week. And now during the process of this week, he's training and he's teaching his disciples as he's getting ready to transition 
to the next phase of his life. And so in this preparation, Jesus prayed for himself in chapter 17. He prayed for his disciples, and then he focused his attention on the future. He began to pray for those who would live today. In other words, he prayed for the church throughout the ages. And the burden of his prayer is unity. Somebody say unity. He desired that his people experience a spiritual unity that is like the oneness of his relationship with the Father. He wanted that oneness, that spiritual oneness to be there with the church that was established in his name. And Christians may be of different fellowship and different churches, but we all belong to the same Lord and we belong to each other. Therefore, in our pursuit of perfection, we should be striving to experience perfect unity instead of perfect chaos, discord, and division. You know, as the church in general, not just striving, but the church in general, we have gotten this discord and division down. We done perfected that. You know, we can disagree on a dime and keep going. We can get upset with folk and, and, and so division and so discord and a dime. We, we perfecting the thing that God don't want us to perfect. He's saying, I want y'all to perfect this thing called America need this lesson right now. Because they don't, obviously, we don't believe that the divided house is, cannot stand. And so what he's trying to say, Jesus said, look, man, when the world see you, the church, operating in unity, perfect unity, then they're going to believe that the Father sent me. We're the ones that's supposed to make the world believe that Jesus came to save them from their sin. And we can't do that if we're not united in our mindset and what we believe and what we think when it comes to Jesus. And he's saying, look, when that unity exists, the world will look on it and they will see something that will let them know. So that's why he prayed for the He prayed for this level of unity to exist in the church. Now look at this, verse 20. I'm starting at verse 20 of chapter 17. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those who would ever believe in me through their message. Somebody say, all those. All those who ever believe or who ever believe in this message, that's you. So in essence, Jesus was praying for you while he was, had prayed for himself and his disciples. He's saying for everybody that believed this message of the gospel, that I am, you know, I came to save the world, that I am the Savior, I'm God's only begotten son, and I was slain and, and buried and then raised on the third day and seated at the right hand of the Father. He said, now look, everybody that believed this gospel message that they're going to hear coming from you, then look here, I'm praying for them. So that means, Martha, he was praying for you when he was praying right here. He was praying for me. Carlin, he was praying for you. He's saying, look, I'm going to pray for them so that when they get on this team, I hope they operate in Look at verse 21. Look what he says. He says, I pray that they will, they, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us 
so that the world would believe you sent me. He's saying, look, there's a spiritual relationship that got to take place that you got to see your Jesus talk this way. He was talking about divine. If you see yourself as part of the vine and you're branched in the vine, you're connected to the Father. And as we are connected to the Father and we operate in this spirit of unity, the world will see this and believe that God sent Jesus to die, not just for us, but for the whole world. But when the world see us acting like we don't know how to be united, we don't agree on anything, and we out there, even now, churches are divided on this issue, that issue, and all these other things, and instead of drawing people to the church, it's pushing people. We have let the wedge issues of our society become wedge issues in the church, and then now we got churches that are not operating in unity, and then therefore people out there looking at that saying, hey, I don't want to be part of nothing of that. I don't need to be part of that. Ain't nothing but chaos and confusion over there. They ain't got it together. They're supposed to be God's children. He done prayed for them to be in unity on one accord. Now look at this. Verse 22 is powerful. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me. The honor, you have to go back to the beginning of chapter 17 where he said, Father, you know, you gave me the glory and now restore me back to the glory that we had in the beginning. All is connected. I say, hey, look, I have given them the honor and I've given them the dignity and I've empowered them with my Holy Spirit. I have given them the glory you've given me so that they may be as we are one. So that they may be one as we are. I say, look, I gave them the glory so they could be on one accord. I gave them the glory so they can get along with one another. I gave them the glory so they'll know how to love each other and do things that the world will see that you're in them, I am in them, and they're in us. And we're all spiritually connected together, operating in a spirit of unity. Look at this. He says, I am in them and you are in me, verse 23. May they experience such perfect unity. Perfect unity. He said perfect unity. He didn't just say may they experience unity. He says may they experience perfect unity. I want them to experience unity at another level so that when the world see that, they'll know, hey, God must be involved in this thing. When you can get folk to get along like that and love Jesus and love themselves and love their neighbor as themselves, when the world see that, they'll know that we're operating in perfect unity. That the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Well, we operate in unity. The world can say, man, God loved Bolden. He loved Jesse. He loved Marvin. He loved Keisha just like he loved the son. And, when, and then when Marva and Bolden and Keisha and all get together and they show love to one another like God intended it, then the world see that and say, that must be a God. <laughs> to get Miss Marva and Keisha on the same sheet of music, there must be a God. To get them to agree on some of the things in the world. Damn. I'm just using them as an object lesson. It ain't in my notes. I could have just picked out any of my best I could have said. <laughs> but what we got to see is that this thing of unity is so powerful, it makes the church a positive example for the world. And it helps to draw other people to the Lord. 
Unity make us complete as a body of believers the way that God wanted us to be so that we get an experience of what heaven is going to be like. In heaven, we're going to be on one accord. So therefore, he said, we need to start practicing down here. Unity renews and it revitalizes us because it lessens the discord and disagreement and dissension. See, all those things zap your energy. And when you've got to deal with somebody in the church and you ain't united with them, it just... We got to do this today with them. I mean, just zap you. I mean, you, you was on, major, you was on fire, ready to go. And then you find out, well, who working with us? Da-da-da. <laughs> energy gone. I brought the energy came with me. I brought my energy with me. But then I forgot that, hey, that's my brother over there. That's my sister over there. And God done put us on the same team. And we got to work together in a spirit of unity so that I don't get... We got too many striving nights walking around here. Pastor has to figure that out. Who can I put together on this committee and that committee? You know, because chemistry is like this in there. You put the wrong chemicals together, they're going to explode. Zapping my energy. I'm back there trying to think too much, think too hard, because I got to worry about what is the unity like. When it ought to be, hey, you two, you two, you do this, doing it in the Lord's name, let's get it. Then Pastor could be walking around, yes. That was easy. Let's do the next thing. But the next thing I got to go, who? <laughs> Man, look here. Take unity to your house. Not just the church, but when a husband and wife ain't operating in the spirit of unity, it just zap. All the energy out the family, kids walk around. Zap. Everybody walk around. Zap. Nobody want to come home after they get off work because they know unity in the house. They just. Those of you who are dating and are just newlyweds, y'all better work for unity in your relationships because if you don't work for unity in your relationship, you're not going to have peace in your relationship. In the absence of peace and unity in your house, a long period of time, guess what? You're going to be by yourself again. Man, y'all, Jesus was serious. He said he done prayed for this level of unity. Perfect unity. Mature and complete unity. David said it this way as a close in the 133rd Psalm. He said it like this. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brethren and sisters, I'm going to throw in there too, Live together in unity. And some of your Bibles say they live together in harmony. They like an orchestra where you got all these different instruments, Fabian. You got some, you know, you got some clarinets, you got some bassoon, you got some trumpets, you got some, you know, them harps and all that. And when they play by themselves, they got a distinct sound. But when you bring them all together in the orchestra, they don't change who they are, but they know how to blend in with everybody else so that they make one sound that sounds good to everybody that hears. He's not telling the harp, stop being a harp so you can be a trumpet. No, he ain't saying that. He's saying you got to understand the work in unity. We just got to know how to create some harmony. Some harmony, because when you can create harmony in your house, you're going to create peace <laughs> David said, man, it's good and pleasant. So he's telling us, wherever there's unity, there's going to be a place that is good and... 
Man, when the church is striving as a place where there's unity, people ain't going to have no problem coming here. But when people have to work with somebody and they know there's no unity. There ain't no unity. Folks don't care how long COVID lasts because I ain't got to put up with them. David said this place of unity is a wonderful and pleasant place when you can find brothers and sisters living together in. Then he go and give us some other things about unity real quick. He says, for unity or harmony, he said, unity is as precious. Unity is a precious thing. Unity is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured upon Aaron. Now, you got to go back and see how they made that oil. That wasn't just no cheap oil they put together. That oil was put together with strict instructions on how to be used, and they anointed him, which made it precious. So he said, unity is precious. Unity is so precious, you got to treat it like it's valuable that you never let it go. Even if it's not in this church, but man, in your house, your marriage is worth having unity. You got to fight for unity. You got to fight for that level of peace in your relationship because it is precious. Now get this, they poured the oil on his head that ran down to the beard, even to the borders of his robe. Now get this, unity is precious like oil, but oil serves a purpose. Oil cuts down on friction. That's why you put oil in your engine, in your car, because you got two hard surfaces rubbing against each other. And if they keep rubbing without some unity, you know that friction is going to start a fire. Some of y'all rubbing on each other, and you just need some unity to come in and be some oil so that it cut down on the cut down on the friction. To do things in the Lord's house, it shouldn't be. But the friction come in where we don't have the unity all flowing through whatever we're trying to do. Unity, like all, cuts down on friction. Verse 3 let us know that unity is refreshing. He says, unity is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Harmon that falls upon the Mount of Zion. Unity refreshes you. You know, when you need to be revived and you know you're all dried up and dried out, you need to be re- The reason they use do is like if you ever come out in the morning and your grass is dry and you're in a dry place, man, if you're out in Arizona or somewhere like that, you come out and do on the ground, well, you say, wow, that do refreshes. When I come out in the morning, so do all over the car window. Do refreshes you. And that's what? When you go to work in a place that got some do, you don't mind going. But when you got to go to work and all that, there's friction. You don't even want to go. You do it. You don't even want to go. Just don't want to go. Too much. And so now we do things under distress and the God in us don't show up so the world can see that there's unity in our hearts and love in our hearts, even for our neighbor as well as ourselves. See, you've got to cut down on the friction in relationships, in your life, with any situation, because if not, people can't take friction over a long period of time. He says, unity is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Harmon that fails upon the Mount of Zion. And look here. And there, now you got to look at this. And there, he ain't talking about the mountain. 
He ain't talking about the high priest. He's saying, and there, the place of unity. Right, brother, you helped me out, boy. You must look at my notes. He said, now look, the place of unity, and there, the Lord has pronounced his blessing. He done spoke it, that if you operate in unity, I'm going to bless whatever you do. And that's why we got to always come together in the spirit of unity and oneness in one mindset to believe that if we do that, God is going to bless the place that he finds unity. This passage in Old King James started off with the word, Behold! All caps with exclamation mark. Behold! He's saying, look here, this thing of unity is so great that when you see it come together and people operate in it, because you don't see it often, you need to Behold it. You need to look at it and say, hey, I'm seeing something that people just don't do all the time, but I'm seeing it. And guess what? God said, behold that. Because that's what you shoot for. That's the example that you want. You're trying to get to the place where you can have perfect unity, which will create your perfect peace. And God has made these things possible to us. But if we don't believe they are possible by saying, Nobody is perfect. Well, you knew he wasn't perfect when you married him. But you did. But now what y'all going to shoot for? You done married this imperfect person, so what you going to shoot for? All you going to do is glorify that emperor? Are you going to say, God, bring us together in the spirit of unity, and we can strive for perfection together and be one like you wanted us to be one when you knew you united us? And so what I'm trying to get us to see today, we have been united as a body in the spirit of God, and therefore we got to operate in this spirit of unity, and we got to believe, even though we may not see it totally, but we got to still be shooting for perfect unity. Every time we do something in this church, man, I know everybody don't think like I do, and I look down the roster and see who's working it, I'm believing for perfect Unity. Even though I know I got some zinc over here, some iron over here, and the books say you don't put them two together, but I believe the Holy Spirit can bring them together without creating an explosion in the church. You know, because we don't cave up and say, you know, just some people just ain't going to never work together. But where that come from? Who said that? Who said that? Somebody that don't believe that church folk can change. Somebody, <laughs> and so when we buy in that mindset, pastor get more gray hair, thinning at the top, because he got to spend two hours figuring out who ought to be working together on this little project. Is there anybody believing for perfect unity? Even if you're not believing for it in, your, in the church here, you ought to be believing for it in your life, in your house, in your family, with your children. You ought to be shooting for that. So that when your children get of age, you don't have to have that proverbial conversation with them. This is my house. You think you're grown, you need to get out there on your own. Well, ain't no unity, no love and that. I mean, treat your neighbor and you treat yourself. But you want somebody to put you out on the street? Then why are you going to put your son on Unity is serious. And it's serious, and I'm done preaching. 
because God connected that relationship to him and to Jesus, and he put us all in that same spiritual relationship together. And if we get into that relationship with God and Jesus and shoot for mediocrity when it comes to unity, then we're doing a disservice. We should have did like the rich young ruler. We should have just walked away from him and said, God, I ain't finna buy in that unity thing. You can keep that for yourself. I'm going over here and do something else. But if we don't bought into that, we got to strive for it. Amen. We got to pursue unity, and we got to pursue peace. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 I got several appeals that I want to make to you today. If you're here or online, my first appeal is for salvation. This is a good time to give your life to the Lord. And I hope that as a church and as a church body universal, uh, we have been living in a way that will make you want to be a part of this team. We've been living in a way that, that you believe that God sent Jesus to die just for you. You may not be saved right now, but you can have that same opportunity that the rich young ruler had. If you want to give your life to the Lord, all you got to do is say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. Don't worry about trying to drop everything you're doing right now. That'll come later. The Lord will deal with you on where you are. But right now, he died while we were yet still sinners. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to make him that today by giving your life to him and confessing him as Lord, then if you're here, raise your hand. If you're online, I just ask that you call in at our number, 862-3899-850. is the area code. Someone will answer your call. Someone will lead you to salvation and give you further instructions. So if you're here, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. I see no hands raised, and I take it that all are saved. My second appeal, if you're here and you're looking for church membership, looking for a place to call your own, if you're online and you're looking for a church that you want to be a part of, please make sure you make it known. If you're here, please raise your hand. I see a hand raised. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Brother Tim is going to come now. I'm going to take you and get some information from you. We thank God for you making that decision, and we believe that God is going to bless you. Amen. If you would, just go with Brother Tim right now. Amen. Would that be another? Would that be another? Again, if you're online, we afford you the opportunity to come and join and be a part of what we're doing here in this community and as we try to do things beyond our community. My third appeal is for prayer. If you've got a prayer concern, if you would, just raise your hand at your seat. If you're online, I just ask that you make your request known to God, just as these are at their seats going to do, and believe that God hears and answers your prayer because God is faithful. He will hear your cries. He promised that he would. And I believe he will answer your prayers because we believe that the fervent prayers of the righteous avail as much. And so therefore, we are the righteous. We're the ones that he was talking about and the faithful. And so therefore, God, incline your ear down to us. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your word that has gone forth today, God. And we thank you for counting us worthy, counting us righteous, counting us faithful. And now because we stand in that position before you, we can cast our cares on you and make our requests known unto you. And so right now, God, you know the hearts of each and every person that raised their hand, each and every person that's online. I pray that you minister to them right where they are. Speak to their hearts right now and let them cast their cares on you now, God, because you care for them. You are God that is able to answer all prayers. You're able to do the impossible. 
You're able to do things that we haven't even thought of, God. So therefore, we come to you and make our petitions and our requests known unto you. God, whatever they are, be it family-related, be it financial-related, be it growth in your son, Jesus Christ, whatever their petitions are, if it's for healing in their bodies, God, right now, we just pray that you continue to strengthen them and comfort them and give them peace and heal them by your miraculous power, God. Whatever it is that they're laying out before you right now, God, incline your ear down to hear. And Father, when it's all said and done, we promise that we will give all praise, honor, and glory back to you because we know all good things come from above and they come from you. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ and him crucified, and we thank you for these who have made their petition known unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. <laughs> say amen again and give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will.